You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey guys, I'm excited to share with you this morning and uh, out of God's Word and just so grateful as Dan shared that we get to live in a country that certainly as we've walked through uh, various books of the Bible that every kingdom and nation on this earth is messed up and has challenges, every family is. Let's be honest, you know, which of us in this room (laughs) have lived perfectly in our own homes and done everything well and great and wonderful at every turn? None of us have, but I'm grateful that we can uh, worship God and and live where we do. And uh, this morning, we are in our second uh, week of a new series uh, that we're calling Summer in the Psalms and really trying to encourage uh, us as a church family to kind of the book of Psalms is all about a, a, the heart of God, and there's nothing in Scripture that quite speaks to me as much as maybe reading the Gospels, the story of Jesus, or reading the Psalms. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is God's Word to us, and God speaks to us throughout the whole book. And so this is just me personally, but I tell you, when I am struggling or trying to figure things out or trying to make sense of the world around me or trying to get clarity or somehow just needing that, I, I regularly go back to the Psalms, and it just kind of puts me back, helps me to get grounded, and get squared away with where God is. And so we're just hoping that this summer that is that you personally will dive into that and maybe as a family kind of step up your game. Uh, true confessions, you know, as we've as I've challenged you to read a couple of Psalms this, you know, a day, and some of you are probably like, yeah, I really wanted to, and I missed, I forgot, I didn't get the schedule, I didn't got it late, and all of that. So true confessions for me and my family. I think we were brushing our teeth this morning, or I was brushing my teeth, my wife's like, you know, we forgot to do the read Psalm last night as a family and do that. I'm like, yep. You're right. We'll we'll get it. We'll get there. So, you know, maybe you wanted to kind of take that challenge. You're like, oh my goodness, it's the fourth weekend. Just relax. You can do it tomorrow. This is not legalistics, you know. So if you haven't been reading this week, you've got a couple of options. Just jump in with where we are now or go back and say, you know what, you can read three a day and you'll catch up in a week or two. But what we're doing throughout the summers, we're just preaching on the chapter that would be the reading for that day. So this morning we would be you would be reading if you started last Monday, you would be reading chapters 15 and 16 and let's let's be honest with you on Sundays we're going to read the whole thing. So that's like half of it already. You've read it. So we're already halfway there for today by the time you go home, all right? So anyway, so take your Bible if you would and turn with me to Psalm chapter uh, chapter 16. And uh, if you don't have your Bible or have your app open, it's going to be on the the screen in front of you. One of the Jesus came and he told people stories, not just as a storyteller, just fun, entertaining. I think they were many times entertaining. I think many times they were convicting. But he told stories to help people to understand truth and realities, to help them kind of get it, if you will. And one of the stories he told was that that his kingdom, in other words, knowing him as king and having God in your life and, and having a relationship with Jesus Christ is like somebody who is out in a field, and they find the most wealthy treasure imaginable, and they discover it, and they kind of cover it over, if you will, and they go sell everything they've got. I mean, they cash out. They sell their home. They sell their cars. They drain out their 401k, their retirement. They cash out everything, and they buy that one field for that one treasure, the greatest treasure imaginable that's worth everything. The Bible says that's what God and His kingdom is like, that it should we should see it as so incredibly valuable that we're willing to trade everything in our entire life for that one thing. This morning, as we look at Psalm 16, we're going to see 
What happens when we live that kind of life where God has that priority place in our life where we have that, He is that one thing that matters the most above everything else. My guess, mom and dad, is they, there are some things in your home that your kids know if they break, eh, who cares? But there's probably a couple of things in their, your home where the kids say, you better not mess that up or you are in major trouble. You could probably think back, you know, when you were growing up, that was probably, you know, your experience. Like there were some things that didn't matter, but there were a couple of things that really mattered. And we're going to see Psalm 16 is that this is the one thing that really matters. And we're going to see the incredible blessings that God does in our lives when we get it. And I got up here with my mic and I don't have glasses. Yes, I do. They're on me. That's the challenge of uh, not being able to see in your, your middle age. So read with me in Psalm 16. We're going to read. We'll, we'll work our way through the whole thing, but I'm going to read the first few verses to get us going. Here's what the Bible says. King David wrote this. He said, preserve me, O God, in verse 1. For in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. In other words, you are my, my God, my boss. You are in charge of me. I'm saying it to you voluntarily. That is my response to you. And I have no good apart from you. You're the greatest treasure. And nothing else, in essence, is what he's saying is of value to me. I have nothing that's good apart from you. In verse 3, as for the saints, those are not people who are made into statues, who, who po- supposedly did nothing wrong when they lived this earth and had miracles treated them. When the Bible talks about saints, it means people who are followers of Jesus, that God has declared to be good and righteous, not because of what they did, but because of what His Son did. So He's talking about average ordinary people, and He says to this, He says, for those saints, for the, in other words, for the followers of Jesus, for the followers of Him in the land, They are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. They're the ones I value, that I want to be around, that I treasure. The sorrows of those who run after another god, the idol worshipers, those sorrows shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my Lot. I'll explain that in a minute. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I want you to notice this morning some of the blessings that we have in life when God is our priority. The first thing I want you to notice is that when God is our priority, that we have refuge. That, that we have a, a refuge, a place and really a person to turn to when we need that security, when things get rough and we need to have that stability, when we need to have that hope, when we're not sure what's going on and how we're going to proceed and what's going to happen, that that we have a place to go where there's safety and security and shelter and provision and all that we need in our life, that He is the one that we turn to. Now this, this refuge, I don't want you to think of it like a, like a bomb shelter that you might have. I don't know if any of you are kind of on the prepper side of things. I'm not so much. But, you know, think about the extreme prepper where there's like a, a bomb shelter in the backyard. You know, you've, you've got the excavator in there and you've got this and you've got 10 years of supplies. So if the nuclear fallout happens, the terrorists come in, zombies attack, like you've, you've got it going on. 
you probably don't hang out in that spot very much. You know, it's not really a nice, happy spot. It's below ground. It's really not that exciting unless you've turned it into a man cave, which you probably have not. You know, you don't spend much time there. When the Bible says that God is our refuge, it's not telling us that God's a, pl- a person that we just go every once in a while when we're in danger. What it means is, is that as we live our life with Him, that He always, 100% of the time, is that safety and that security and that blessing of being with. That He's the one that we trust. Think more like a child that's hardwired day one to trust mom or dad. That, you know, a child that hasn't learned that mom and dad are not always stronger than whatever's going on out there, but a child that says, my dad can do anything and he'll take you. Think about a child who just loves being, you know, with that safety and that security. That's what God's telling us, that when we live our life with God as our priority and we live in that relationship with Him, that we're secure. And most of the time it means we're just playing and happing around because we're in God's presence. But there's times when we're afraid and there's times when the threats come that God's just to turn away and we're right there. And we feel that even more. You see, when God is our priority, when we have that relationship with Him, He is 24-7 in our life. Whether we're on our way to work, no matter what's going on, no matter what news we get, no matter what text comes in, no matter what's going on nationally, personally, in our family or whatever, but we live that life with Him and He is our ever-abiding refuge in our, our life. In a few minutes, we're going to take, uh, as a church family, the Lord's Supper as a reminder of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the grave. And Jesus told us to do that regularly, that it's something that until He returns to help us to remember that. And what God's teaching us as we do this together to, to bring it in the forefront of our minds is that we have that life with Him now because of what His Son Jesus did. You see... How does God become your priority? Well, verse 2 kind of gives us the hint to that. He says this, he says, I say to the Lord, notice that Lord is all capital letters. That's That's not the translator's emphasis. That's actually telling us that it uses the word for Lord, and it's a little bit different than the other one. That's the word that God says that I am the I am, the infinite one, the, the amazing one, the one who is by nature self-existent, eternal, that has all power. Everything that God is is wrapped up into that. He says, I said to that Lord, that God, you are my Lord. You are my, the one in charge of my life. I surrender to you. I give my life to you. I look and I compare you to, in comparison to everything around me. And I trade all of that in for you. You see, when you and I take that step in our life, when we go all in with the God of heaven, we surrender our life to Him, to Jesus as Lord of our life, that Jesus came to die for our sins. And He rose on the third day, that victory that we'll talk in just a moment that's so beautifully expressed in this psalm. And when we realize that we are messed up, that there's some nice good things about our life, but then there's a lot of not-so-nice good things about our life, some bad things if we're really being honest with ourselves and transparent things that we regret, wish we didn't do, wish we could do over. And most often in life, you really don't get a do-over. You really don't, except with God you do. But that's another sermon, another time, another topic. 
And what Jesus did is he came to die to pay the penalty that you and I earned from all of those mess-ups. And when we finally admit those before the God of heaven, our teachers may not have known it, police officers may not have picked up on it, a judge may not know, our spouse may not know, our mom and dad may not know, our friends may not know, but God knows. And when we admit those things to God and say, God, forgive me, I know Jesus died for me and rose again. When that moment, what we're doing is we're surrendering our life to Him. And we're putting our complete trust in His salvation. And we're cashing in everything, if you will, that would ever matter or be valuable to us and saying, you are my God. When we do that, God becomes a priority in our life from that moment and going forward. Now that can be a scary thing. As I've talked with so many people, I feel like you know one of the titles I carry is, is pastor, if you will, shepherd is what that means. But I feel like spiritual doctor almost ought to be like just as well as the picture, right? And trying to help people to navigate those spiritual illnesses in their heart and making sense of, of that world. And what what we're doing is, is God's saying, I want to give you the remedy for all of that sin. And we trust Him. And for many, that's a scary step because they know it's an all or nothing. And as I've helped so many people navigate and consider those truths, I would say it's probably 50-50. I've not sat down and looked at numbers. Maybe 25-75%. There are a number of people when they kind of are trying to, you know, life hasn't worked for them and they're trying to make sense of life and they consider the things of God, they realize that, wow, God doesn't play. God means business. God wants all of me, or I can't have anything in life. There are many that will say, okay, I understand what that is. It's not about religion. It's not about this or that. And they they say, yeah, I don't know if I'm ready to do that. That's a little too intense. I'm not ready to just jump into that. Well, this morning, I want to encourage you. You ought to not back up from that. If that describes you, you're trying to dip your toe in the water spiritually and figure out what all of that's about, that God says it's worth it. And God brings incredible blessings to your life. For those of you that have already dipped your toe in the water and you've jumped all the way in, I want to remind you of the goodness of God that we have as we live out our life before Him and as we celebrate in a bit in our our Lord's Supper, the table remembering what He did for us is it. We have Him in our life, and because of that, we have life with Him, and we have refuge at any moment, any time. We turn to Him, and we trust Him. Second thing I want you to notice, not only do we have refuge, but we avoid needless sorrows. You see, when we trust Jesus as Lord of our life, when we go all in with Him, we avoid all kinds of messes and disasters and sorrows and pains and headaches and fears and worries and frustrations. The Bible says, as for the saints, those are the followers of Jesus. Those are the ones that are putting God as priority in their life. Those that have turned to Him, that He has freed them of their sins and declared them to be good and right, not because they were good people, because we're not, but because Jesus was good on our behalf. When we trust Him, that we gain a family. You see, David, King David is writing. He says, you know what? I look around and I've got a spiritual family. They're the, they're the excellent ones. They're the good ones. I, they're the ones that I love, that I spend my life with, that I want to be around. 
You see, when, we, when God is our priority, we want to be around others that live in such a way that God is their priority. And what happens is, is we gain a spiritual family. We have a word for it today. It's called church. It's called, you know, a church is not the building. It's not, it's why we are okay living in a building that doesn't have stained glass and cathedrals. It's not about the box you meet in. If cardboard would keep the rain out, I'd be happy to meet in a cardboard box, to be honest with you. I might would like dress it up a little bit. I'm not too into the building. I'm more into the people that are in the building myself. And that's what the church is. We are a spiritual family. God says, when you are living as, with me as a priority, we gain that family. You know what family teaches? It teaches lifestyle and values, doesn't it? it that's what families do. Sometimes it's good lifestyle and good values. Sometimes it's not. And we pass that on. And what David is saying is, I, I live and I value. They're the ones that are on the path pursuing you, God. I don't want to hang out with that crew that dismisses you, God. In fact, they're pursuing other gods. I'm not even going to worship in the way they do. I'm, not, I'm, it's, I'm so loath to go there, I'm not even going to mention their name. And in the process, if you look at verse 4, the Bible says those who pursue other gods have tremendous sorrows. They bring sorrows into their life. You see, when God is your priority, you learn a lifestyle and a family before the family of God. I'm not talking weirdness, legalism. You guys, we've talked a lot about that a lot. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a life that gets reoriented where God is first. And we avoid all kinds of sorrows and pain. You see, when we pursue other gods, they will always let us down. We put expectations on them thinking they're going to make us happy, and they don't. We think somehow they're going to fulfill us, and they don't. We think somehow they're going to take care of us and protect us and guard us, and they don't. We think they're going to fulfill what we need, and they let us down. And because of it, our sorrows multiply. It would be like you and I investing in a, a Ponzi scheme where we think, Ooh, I've made some easy money, I'm doing all right, this is going to be great, and all of a sudden it just goes poof, and you realize you're bankrupt. And you've got to take a second mortgage out on your home because you've gone all in on something that doesn't deliver. And the sorrow goes deep. When you go to bed at night and you worry and you fret and you frustrate. You see, when you and I live in such a way when God is not our priority, our mental health goes downhill. The world is looking for mental health solutions. Exercise, diet. Pop the medicine, pop the pill, figure things out, therapist. Half of that comes, need comes because people are pursuing the wrong God. They're pursuing things that let them down. Sean, are you saying that, well, if I become a follower of God and really go in all with Jesus, I'll never have problems, I'll never have headaches, I'll never have worries? Ooh, I'll take that deal. No, I'm not telling you that. But I am telling you this you will avoid a whole lot because you will not be living in such a way that only invites problem and headache and disaster. You will avoid shipwreck and messes in your life 
And instead, you will be living in a way that God designed you for and what you were made for because he's put you in his family to help you to live that way and you experience such incredible blessing in the process. Third thing that happens when God is our priority and we live that life with Jesus, that our life is blessed. Look at verse 5 and 6. The Lord is my chosen portion. He's the one that I want. I'll take that piece of cake. I want that. He's the one that I've chosen. He chooses us and we turn around and out of that we say, yes, Jesus, I want you too. I want you, God. And he's my cup. You hold my lot. Lot, think of like dice. You're the one that holds the chances of things that just happen to happen to me. Most of our life that we experience is beyond our control. We don't like that reality as people. We do everything we can to be in charge of even things that we deep down know we'll never be in charge of. There's precious little that you are fully in control of that happens to you in life. And what David is saying is that, God, the things that just happen to me, the lots, the roll of the dice that just so happens without any explanation that I have no control over, those have actually are held in your hand. You see, there really are no coincidences or accidents in life. By the way, when you say things and you don't want to have happen, you don't need to knock on wood. To be real honest with you, that's a little weird. That wood doesn't do anything. It's superstitious. Like, no, all you need to say is, God, please don't let that happen. That's what you do. Because God is the one that... He holds all of those things. It just so happens why you didn't lose your job or somebody else did or you avoided that accident or these, all of these. He's the one that's in charge of all of the happenstance, random, crazy things in your life. He holds them all. He's that kind of God. And when He's our God that we see as a priority, look what verse 6 says. We look at all of those happenstances and we say, "...the lines have fallen from me in pleasant places." Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So many people walk around in their life today and are angry at the things that have happened to them. There's a lot of anger. And you and I can end up in that ditch sometimes, right? When I, early on, when Susan and I, our kids are learning to drive, you know, probably like most parents, I'm like, oh, I hope they don't hit anything. Like, oh, just keep it out of the ditch on this side and keep it on in between the lines on that side, right? Just stay where you're supposed to stay. Stop where you need to stop. Like, let's just get it really simple. And sometimes as we live our life, we don't stay out of the ditch. Even when we follow Jesus, we tend to go back and fall into that and things happen to us and we can hit the, you know, that season of life where we're just angry. But what this is saying is when you really are pursuing and have the mindset that God is your priority, you look around, and yeah, there's things you really don't want to have happened, but you look around and say, you know what? Things that have happened to me have actually been pretty stinking awesome. And God's an amazing God in the middle of a messed up world. It changes your whole concept. You look around and realize that the lines, the kind of the boundaries of your life that have played out, that God has done amazing things for you and in your life and in your world. 
As you, as, uh, as you guys know, over the last, you know, two or, two or three months ago, I think I shared with you that Susan and I had to make a trip up to Maine to take, to take care of her mom and her dad, and they're 92 and 90, and, you know, you're a, you're a tough old bird when you're 92 and have a heart attack and live to tell a story, and even to have them thinking that, like, you might can go to assisted living and not necessarily be a nurse. I'm like, she's inches from that. I'm thinking... I told my wife, I'm like, remind me not to get in a knife fight with you because you will come out every time and get me in the end. Like, you're not going to go down easily, you know. And we ended up taking care of my father-in-law who's battling dementia and just because of COVID, there weren't people around and he kind of slid downhill a lot more than everybody kind of realized anyway. And just this week, He's managed to go into assisted living, which he needs, and where he is, and she's able to go into a nursing home that's right there on the property, and they can have meals together, 92 and 90, where they haven't been able to do that for forever uh, or for the last couple of months. And on top of it, as a, as a follower of Jesus, their eternity matters to me because they haven't known God personally. And for years I've wondered, how is this going to go down? <laughs> Just, oh my wife, and just grieving and the pain and where they are spiritually. Can I just tell you, I've seen God just over the last three, three months just do amazing things to allow my mother-in-law to, 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 to have that to where we'd go up thinking she was going to be a congestive heart failure and pass and not, and my wife have individual time with her and lead her to Christ and us to go back a couple of times and each time to see God working with her dad in ways that they were both resistant and to him to say, I really want to do that. Not a, just pray this little prayer, pop this little pill, dad, you know, you'll go to heaven. It doesn't work that way. He has to, even at 90 years old, cash in 90 years of things that he's put his valued in life to say, you know what, I really want God first. And for him to take that step of faith. And I'm just in an awe. I look at that and say, only you, God, can possibly do that. There's no way that I, we could have engineered all that, and there's no way any of that is just circumstances. Yeah, there's hard things that happen in life, and yeah, it stinks of where they are, and yeah, it's not fun, but I step back and I say, God, you're an amazing God. Incredible that we always have your grace in the middle of all the hardships in life. See, when God is your priority, that is your reality. And when you keep your perspective there, everything that happens to you ultimately turns out in the end for good. Next thing you get. I'm going to have to move along here. I love this psalm and the things that God showed me in it. But notice that God also gives us, he gives us guidance and stability. He gives us a refuge out of a relationship with him. And we avoid sorrows because he gives us a family. We look at our whole life, things that we just think happen by accident. We don't have to worry about this world or karma or anything crazy being out there, which karma is not a real thing. God's the real thing. That's not. not a, God's the one in charge of all that stuff, and it all happens ultimately for good because of Him. But He also gives us wisdom, guidance, and a stability. He says in verse 7, He says, I bless the Lord. This is awesome. God is the one who gives me counsel. He's my personal advisor. How often do you not know what you should do in life? What you're going to do? How things are going to turn out? A bunch. And what that verse says is that God is your personal advisor. Personally there to guide you, to give you wisdom, to help you to navigate. That we find counsel with Him. 
And folks, if he doesn't think we really need counsel, he doesn't give it. So relax. He's got it. And if he really thinks you need it and you genuinely are seeking him, then he'll give it to you. So rest and trust him in that. But he becomes our our personal counselor. It's to the degree that in the night also, my heart instructs me in verse 7. You know, how often do you and I worry at night? And we can worry throughout the day, but sometimes you got to get up and you go to work and you hit your routine and you can, to some degree, put life on pause, right? You can just kind of go through the motions and you can put on the mask at work and do what you've got to do. But then when you come home, reality hits. And what do you do? You're not sure what to do and all of those things are there. What it's saying is that even inside of our heart, what really matters is we know what to do. It's not just outside of us, somebody telling us what we should do. Like, oh, I don't know if this is right or not. That God whispers in our soul because we're following Him and we're valuing His Word. And like we talked about last week, we're taking it in and we're thinking about it, that God gives us all the wisdom and all the instruction that we need. And out of that, we are not shaken. That's what verse 8 says. I have set the Lord always before me. In other words, He's right there. I'm listening to Him. He's what I value. He's my priority. And because of that, because He's at my right hand, right there, my personal counselor, I shall not be shaken. I'm not shaken. I'm not disturbed. I'm not unstable. I'm I'm not at risk. No matter the things that come my direction or not sure what to do or even choosing between two good things, that God is my counselor and I listen to His counsel and I take heed to His counsel. By the way, when you don't listen to God's counsel, that's when you do get shaken. That's when you are unstable. That's when you do get off kilter. But because God is there and because we listen to Him and because He's our our rock and our strength, that we walk forward in all of that. Because He's our priority, we have the wisdom and the guidance and the direction and the protection and the stability in life that we need. Now there's one little caveat to this. There's a piece of this that's a little bit invisible in this passage. But when the Bible says, in the night also my heart instructs me, that word instruct has kind of the idea of discipline and correction. It's a, yeah, you kind of blew it here, and you need to get that squared away. How often have you, you know, said something, done something, and that night you're like, oh, I blew that one, and realize that rather than, you know, maybe a problem came your way, or somebody said something or did something, and rather than you actually becoming part of the solution, the Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. Somebody comes at you angry, you are not supposed to turn around and up the anger. So it just becomes who can get the loudest, the angriest, the whatever, you know, like the the might wins. But actually a soft answer settles that down. And maybe in that moment you didn't do it, and later on God convicts you. What he's doing is he's instructing you. He says, you really didn't do so well there. When you feel that, it does not feel good because the God of heaven is disciplining you. He's fixing something that's broken. It's like your shoulder is dislocated. And he says, yeah, I know you meant well, but you really didn't do well. Let me help fix this. And it hurts, but he will put it back in place. And so he guides us, and it's not always fun. 
but he always guides us and he instructs, instructs us in a way that creates stability in our life and our relationships and our family and our work. And as followers of him, there is a, a put togetherness of life that comes because he has taught us and he is our God and he's our priority. One more to go. Verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my innermost being I'm glad. I'm not just posting on social media, look at me glad, and then reality is, I'm glad in my heart and my whole being rejoices. In other words, I'm physically dancing. I'm not a very good dancer, as you can tell. I'm up and dancing. My heart, I'm excited. Whatever you are, introvert, extrovert, whatever your thing is, but I'm excited. My heart's glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. In other words, I feel safe and I'm secure in every way. For you will not abandon my soul to shield. In other words, to the place of the, of the dead. And just, even in my passing, I'm not without you and without hope, is what he's saying. Or, and neither will you let your Holy One see corruption. We find out in the New Testament that that's an early promise of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, that God did not allow His Son Jesus to stay dead forever. In fact, in that, He didn't decay, but He raised Him from the dead on the third day. That's the primary reality of that verse. Secondary reality is you and I experience the same thing. When God is our God and He is our priority, He doesn't even abandon us in our own passing. That even in the process of that, that He's our safety and our security. And even when we do pass, He does not abandon us. No special rituals needed, no anything beyond that. Of His own Son, Jesus, who died and gave His life for us. So, but instead, verse 11, He makes known to us, makes known to me the path of life. The way of life. And in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures, and get that last word, forevermore. See, folks, this stuff doesn't end. You and I can go out and buy something to make us happy for that day. You might go out, I just, I want an ice cream sandwich. I've had a stinky day. I just, I'm gonna, I want something fun. I'm going to go get a soda. I want a, whatever your thing is. You're like, but that goes away. What this is telling us is that when God is our priority, that He gives us a joy and a life and a security and an for an eternity, that even all the way through our passing and beyond that, because He is our priority, there's a joy in life. Oftentimes, as each of us kind of enter that new phase of life, we're not so sure how this is going to go down. How are we going to do this? And especially, I think, as we get older, we begin looking back and realize we've got more years in the rearview mirror than we do in the windshield. And we're thinking, wow, I don't like that I can't do this, and I don't able to do that, and I'm not having as much fun, or you know, those kind of things. What this verse is telling us is that we have confidence no matter our situation, no matter how we're living, no matter what's going on, but when God is our priority, that there's always life today, there's always joy available today, there's always security, because He Himself is with us. 
You see, I started initially talking about that God is our refuge. God is our refuge. He doesn't give us a refuge. He doesn't give us a place to run. He doesn't say, oh, you're, you're at risk financially. I'm going to give you a financial advisor. He doesn't do that. He says, I personally am going to be your refuge. You're with me. And the, and the Bible's ending in that same spot. All of this is wrapped up into our personal relationship, our just walking with God. But the reason that we have that life and that joy is because we're there with Him. And that no matter the circumstances of life, we're there with Him. And it's what matters. Doesn't matter so much where we put our head on the pillow at night, what's going on, but there's a life and a joy that all the way to our death and passing, and even when we die physically, God says, I'm not abandoning you there. This is not for you. I sent my son Jesus to die for you. You have resurrected life. You're going to be with me for forever. The joy and the, the pleasure, not, not the pleasure we think of, but just that we look around and say, this is, this is awesome. You see, folks, I look at it and say, why in the world wouldn't somebody take that ultimate commitment? Yeah, God says, you got to surrender to me as your God and to trust my son Jesus as Lord, as boss of your life, to surrender it all to him because of your sin. But look, when we take that step, and it's a bit overwhelming when you first think about it. But when we take that step, look what God does in our life. That's why that God and living for Him is worth everything. I know of nothing in life that gives us these promises. Your spouse can't, your family can't, your job can't, media can't, can't buy it in a store. Nothing. But God can do that. So this morning, as we celebrate the Lord's table and think about the Lord's Supper, about the reminder of what Jesus did for us, if you've never really surrendered to Jesus as Lord of your life, then rather than participating in a moment when we take the, the wafer and the juice and the, the seat in front of you, what I encourage you to do is to focus on what Jesus did. And that you simply pray in your heart, God, I have not surrendered to you. Maybe you're nervous about it. Then tell God that. God, I'd like to, but I'm nervous. Tell him that. He's listening. He's ready. He's not like sending him a text where you're wondering, like, did they get it or not? Are they going to answer it or not? An email? You know, God's there. Maybe you're like, God, I'd like to take that step. I don't understand enough. Tell him that too. God, I kind of like to, but God, I got this thing in my past that I've got trouble with. Tell them. It's okay. But have that conversation with God. And maybe you don't have any challenges or obstacles, and that's morning for the first time you're like, God, I'm ready to take that step. Then what I encourage you to do is say simply like this. You can say it however you want in your own words. God, I know you love me because you sent Jesus to die for me. And God, I know that I've messed up in my life and I'm a sinner and I don't deserve you. But God, I want to trust Jesus that he died instead of me to save me from my sin. God, I want him to be in charge of my life. I'm, I'm done trying to figure this out and do my own thing. It doesn't work. God, would you forgive me and save me? If you've never taken that step of faith this morning instead of participating in this in a moment, 
Have that conversation with God. And if you have done that before and you walked with God or you're, you know Him, then this morning is an opportunity for you to remember and reflect and to, that this Lord's table that we celebrate is a reminder to us why we have that life and all the things that we've talked about this morning. So I'm going to give you just a, a minute as I, I pray, probably not a minute, 30 seconds, whatever, but to just kind of begin praying and thinking through in your own heart as we celebrate this table together. And then I'm going to, I'm going to pray and we'll share together. God in heaven, I thank you for the truths of what we've talked about and what we've sung about early with Christine and Sarah. Thank you for these truths. Thank you for the promises. Thank you for what you offer. And Lord, we don't deserve any bit of it. So Lord, we celebrate and acknowledge your grace, your power, your authority, your presence in our life. Father, thank you that you're not a God that we just worship from afar and believe in and it's far away. It's not like believing that Pluto's out there and but never seeing it or experiencing it. Lord, we get to experience you up close, intimately in the affairs of our life. Father, thank you for that, through your son Jesus dying for us. Thank you that he made the way that we're going to have a relationship with you and you involved personally in our life. Lord, we love you, and we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.